This is Leaving Laodicea, the online podcast of Steve McCraney. I'm glad you're here. Stay tuned, because we've got some exciting things in store for you. Hang tight. You can't handle the truth. Today, I'm going to share just a couple of truths with you, and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And uh, I want you to kind of see it a little differently today. Normally, we look at the passages in Corinthians, and we talk about the gravity of the Lord's Supper, talk about taking it within, in an unworthy manner and what's all involved in that, which, again, is very important. But there's an aspect of it that sometimes we miss, and that's one of the reasons why it's called communion, because we're to commune with the Lord. We're going to look at a couple other scriptures today that will hopefully help us do that. And I want to give you an opportunity today to bring him glory. We've been talking about uh, the kingdom of God. We've been talking about the glory of the Lord and the things he's done for us. But before we take the Lord's Supper, I want to give you an opportunity, and I encourage everybody here to take advantage of it, no matter how uncomfortable it make you feel, may make you feel. But just give him glory for something he's done this year. What has he done for you? What has he shown you? How how has your life changed? Even if it's through a dark time, even though it's been pretty rough, the fact of the matter is, was he there with you? Did he leave you alone? Did he sustain you? And let's um, let's spend some time praising him and then commune with him with the Lord's Supper. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to just come into your house today and just Think about you, verbalize how we feel about you, look at your word, and and then, Lord, partake of the Lord's Supper, communion as it's called. Lord, would you would you speak to us and encourage us, and Lord, would you also be encouraged by the way that we praise you and we honor you and we just glorify you and give you thanks publicly for the things you've done for us, even if you've done them privately. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name to take authority over Satan, Bind, rebuke, and cast him out from our gathering right now. And Holy Spirit, would you fill us and teach us what it means to praise the Lord. And I'll thank you in all things. Amen. As you know, we've been going over the kingdom of God and what's all involved in that and the privileges and the rights we have as citizens of that kingdom. But since it's Christmas, our post-Christmas, clean-up time uh, Christmas, uh, I wanted just to tell you about um, the greatest gift that he's ever given us, greatest gift that he has ever given me. When you're young, Christmas is about getting. True? I mean, I mean, when I was a kid, it was obscene. We just, you know, got all the presents. When you get older, Christmas is about giving. You know, there's not so much that we you know, like Lincoln, for example, you know, it's not like justice goes, well, you know, he has 31 presents and I only have one. You know, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. It's, it's we give when you get older. And, and, you know, it's the same way with maturity with the Lord. When we're young in our relationship with him, we think about all the things, 
you know, that, that he has done and for us and how great it is for us and we're chosen and elected and all that kind of stuff. But, but if you really think about it, when you boil it all down, there is a gift that he's given us that is insurmountable. I mean, especially, at least it is for me. Because when I look at my life, I don't look at my successes. I have a tendency of dwelling on my failures. Um, when I get ready to pray, I don't pray and thank the Lord primarily for all the things I was able to do through him to bring him glory. I find myself, my first prayer is confessing to him the times that I failed him. You ever been that way? You know, it's, it seems like my, my failures, um, for me are far more in the present than they are my successes. Because he gets all the credit for the successes, but I take all the blame for the failures. And when I get ready to pray or get ready to worship him or study the Bible or anything, I always have a confession time of confessing the ways that I have not emulated Christ. And then, which fits in perfectly to this, this gift. Last week we talked about how marvelous God was in his kingdom and we talked about it from the book of Colossians and I shared with you that it's really hard to really get through Colossians because it's, it's just, it just exalts Christ incredibly. But here's one of the passages that kind of stuck out. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Well, that's a great verse, but I need to know kind of what it means, and I want to make it personal. So as I've shared with you for years, you take the Scripture and you begin breaking it down and you ask the who, what, where kind of questions. You look for present tense and past tense, what he has done for me or what I'm supposed to do. You interject yourself into the passage if it's talking about you in such a way that it's, it makes it real. And you, me, yes, you, Steve, you, and you, and you, Tim, and you, everyone in here, you put your name there, and you, who were once, this is a past tense, not that way anymore, but at one particular point in time, I was alienated and enemies of the Lord. Hopefully I'm not that now, but, and we're going to look at what these words mean in just a second, but I was alienated and I was enemies, how? In my mind, by what I did. There was a time in the past, and maybe sometimes even now when we sin willingly, grieve his spirit, that I was an enemy and I was alienated in the way that I thought by my wicked works, by my actions. You know, James talks about the fact that, you know, we need to take every, you know, the, the sin is really conceived first in our heart and in our mind. It's, it's not like our body acts separate from our mind. If you think about the last time that you were involved in sin, it wasn't like some knee-jerk reaction where, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Stop it, stop it, stop it. And you're trying to control one of your members from being involved in sin and you can't. We thought about it. We weighed the, the possible pleasure from this sin against the righteousness of God, and we made a choice. 
And the choice is for this moment, right now, I don't really care about the vows and the commitments that I've made. I'm going to get involved in this anyway. Whether it's a sin with another person, whether it's an attitude, a word that comes out of your mouth, whether it's lusting or whether it's covetousness or whether it's something you watch or hear or do, whatever it is. My need to be satisfied my way in sin and carnality is greater than my trust in the Lord. And our mind first goes through that that weighing process. And then a choice is made. And once the choice is made, then our body follows. The Scripture says that we were at one time alienated and enemies in our mind by our wicked works. But a gift was given to us. Yet now, this is present tense, yet now he, Christ, has reconciled what? My wicked mind, my behavior, my my carnality, my sin, my lostness. He is reconciled in the body of his flesh to the point of his death. But we know the gospel. We know that... Our sins were imputed to him, and God poured his wrath out on his son who was hanging on the cross. Hence, it was dark for three hours over the entire world because what agony Christ was going through was none of our business to see. It was just between God and his son. And so it says that I was, put your name in there, once alienated and enemies in my mind by wicked works, but right now, As this gift, he's reconciled me in the body of his flesh through death for what purpose? And here's where it gets incredible. To present me. To present you to the Father, to himself, to the angels, and if you, and we're going to look at it in a second what the word present means. It means to come alongside, to stand with, to, to present you holy, which I'm not, blameless, which I'm not, and above reproach, which I'm not, but in his eyes I am. I mean, think about that. What kind of gift is this that we received? That in Christ's eyes, according to him, Even though he's a just God, he sees my sin, he sees my carnality, he sees the times I wasn't holy, I wasn't blameless, and I definitely wasn't above reproach, and yet in his eyes, he sees me and presents me just like that. What does that mean? Well, we begin looking at some of these words to be able to get the depth of this promise. And you, Steve, who were once alienated. The word here means to be estranged or to alienate entirely. It was a complete severance of a relationship. It's not just, I don't want to hang around you because your attitude's bad. This is a cutting off that takes place, that I was totally, entirely alienated from him. And I was an enemy. And the word enemy here means hatred, hostility, and enmity. I mean, think of the person that you have an estranged relationship from. Hopefully it's nobody. But if you did, it's not just not seeing them anymore. You just, when you think about them, you just burn with hatred towards them. 
It's a good thing I don't see them because if I did with my own hands, and you know how that goes. That's how we were with him. That way because of our wicked works. And the word works here doesn't mean something we're doing extraordinarily. It means the result of employment. It's what's expected of us. It's our duty. It's what we do every single day. Yet now, present tense, he is reconciled. Key word. The word here means the restoration of a relationship of peace that has been disturbed or destroyed. It's two people coming together that used to be close, and now they're not, and they reconcile that relationship that had been destroyed or that had been disturbed or had been fractured. And how did he do that? In the body of his flesh through death, why? And here's that word, to present. And it means to cause to stand near or before. Your name. Now, I want you to imagine this. So let's assume that Jesus was alive on earth today in the flesh like he was 2,000 years ago. And he is of resplendent glory, and he is holy, and he is above reproach, and he is blameless, and he has been tempted in every way that I have been tempted, yet I failed and he hasn't. And I am caught with my fear, and I don't really kind of want to be that close to him because I know what I'm really like on the inside, and I'm hoping he can't read my mind, but he can. It's kind of like Peter. You know, I'm, I'm always amazed that after Peter betrayed Christ, and then the the crowed three times, and all of a sudden Jesus turned and looked at him, and Peter went away and wept, wept bitterly. The next time we see Peter and Jesus together is when they're in the upper room and Jesus presents himself. Do you remember? And there's no mention of Peter. I mean, he was there, but he was hiding in his shadows. I mean, I can almost see like, you know, I know what I've done to you, and so therefore I don't even want to be around you anymore. And it took the next to the last chapter of the book of John for Jesus to restore Peter to fellowship with himself. Do you remember? Peter, son of John, do you, do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep, feed my lamb, tend my sheep. But he has reconciled us to present us. No, no, no. Father, I, I want you to see... Steve here. Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't see the Father. I'm so full of sin. It's like Isaiah when he gets a glimpse of the Lord. Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips. No, that's been purged. Christ has purged that. And, and all of a sudden I want to present, stand alongside you and me as a gift. And he presents us holy, which is set apart and consecrated for a holy purpose, literally as a saint, and blameless, which means unblameable, without spot or blemish, and above reproach, which means not only can any legal charge against you not be proven, but you can't even be accused because your character is so great. But he presents us that way in his sight, or the word means in his presence or before his face. That is a gift. That is a gift that in the midst of our sin and our failure and our anger and our bitterness and our disappointment and, and whatever we struggle with, that he sees us like this. But it's not an isolated verse. In, um, in uh, the book of Ephesians, it talks about 
um, a relationship a man has with a woman. And as he's talking about how a husband's to love his wife and a wife's to love her husband, he says this, that the whole purpose of this is that he, Christ, might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Words mean the same thing, that he, Christ, would present the church, which is you and I, to himself as a gift. It's not like he's presenting us to someone else, but he's actually presenting us to himself as a glorious church. But we're not. We're kind of a sinful church. We're an apathetic church. We're a lukewarm church. The church in America today is in a pretty sad situation. Christians today don't stand out as marked difference in the world pretty much. We just kind of blend in with everybody else, and we all know that. Yet he, when he presents us to himself, it says he presents us as a glorious church. What does that mean? What does a glorious church look like? Not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, but that she, you and I, the church, should be, again, holy and without blemish. We know from the last verse, in his sight. We see, we see the worst, and he sees the best. It's kind of like, um, I always, you know, I'm, I'm always drawn to crime dramas because if God hadn't called me to be a, a pastor, I'd have been a district attorney somewhere. Um, I'm always drawn to crime dramas, real ones a lot. And, you know, and it's always amazing that this person has committed this horrendous crime. They've been on death row for 14 years. They're just about to get executed for their crime. Maybe they're totally unrepentant. And then they interview the mother, the mother of this dastardly human being who has killed 14 people and been in death row and, you know, is unrepentant, is about to suffer death, and they ask the mother, what was your son like? You ever seen those? He's such a loving boy. I mean, he's just wonderful growing up. And all she can see in him is the best. The best. Not the sin that everybody else sees, but the, the best in them. I mean, it's kind of what the Lord does. He, he looks at us with all our failures, and as a gift, he sees the best. You're blameless, and you're holy, and you're without blemish. No, no, I, I have plenty of blemishes in my sight. Um, pinning that. One, one more, my favorite. Last two verses in the book of Jude. Now to him, to Christ, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. This is kind of this praise doxology that Jude has for the Lord. Now to him, Christ, who is able to keep you, and I put my name there, Almost like Jude is looking at me and going, now to him who is able to keep you, Steve, you from stumbling. And if you look at the word here, it's the word that we get apostate or apostatized from, to keep you from falling. You know, Jesus talked about that, that um, 
It's not us hanging on to him, but we are in the Father's hand, and no one can snatch us out of the hand, and Jesus' hand is, is on top of the Father's hand, and no one can snatch us out of our hands. Do you remember? Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, that's, that's great news, but, and to present you, Steve, faultless. Well, where? Where do I get presented as faultless? Before the presence of his resplendent Shekinah, pure glory. Do you imagine the manifold glory of God where there is not even the hint of shadow or darkness? Something that every time a little bit of that glory was shown to man, man fell flat on their face. They were overwhelmed. I'm, I'm undone. I've seen the Lord. And in the middle of that glory of all Christ is, he's going to present us faultless. And he does it with extreme exaltation and extreme joy. It excites him and overwhelms him to be able to present us, those he has redeemed, into in his glory, faultless. That's a gift, by the way. Because I am not faultless. Are you? On my best day, I'm still not faultless. Yet he sees me as faultless. And he presents me to himself as faultless. And he does it with incredible joy. So, um, what do we do? The very next verse. To God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. We give him glory and we give him praise for who he is. Now listen, this has been, a, um, this has been an interesting year for me. Um, it's been a year I hadn't planned, I didn't see coming. Uh, things happened this year that were Absolutely God-ordained, and they were marvelous and wonderful, and things happened this year that I'd really rather not have happened. And it's, it's just been one of those years. Some of you may have set, had some setbacks. Some of you may have had your worst fears materialize. Some of you may have had some medical problems or financial problems or relationship problems. I mean, who knows? Who knows? But some of you may have been really hot for the Lord at one particular point in time and then dropped down to the fact that you didn't want to hang around Christians anymore and indulged in sin for a season and, and you still may be there right now. But he sees you as faultless and he is able to present you as faultless in the midst of his glory with great joy. And our job is to praise him to love him, to exalt him for what he has done. Now, if you would, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 26. This is Matthew's account of the Lord's Supper. Probably should have seen this, but it really became real to me um, 
this last week as I was preparing for this. It begins in pretty much um, verse 17, and it talks about the first day of unleavened bread, and here's what you're going to do, and I want to keep the Passover, so you're going to kind of head this way, and you know, there's all the mechanics of all that kind of stuff. And but verse 26 kind of uh, begins the part that we celebrate, the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine. It says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them all, saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That's doctrine. We've got that. We understand that. We've talked about that every single time that we've taken the Lord's Supper. But we've missed verse 29. And this is my problem. This is my fault. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's more than just an identification of the Passover meal. We've talked about the fact that it was after supper. It was the third cup of the four cups in the Passover meal and, and what that means. And we've looked at the intricacies of all of that so we can have a better understanding, which is wonderful. But we've missed the communion. This is a meal. This is a meal that's taking place that the Lord said that I fervently, fervently want to eat with you before I suffer. And he says this, this fellowship that we have, this communion that we have, this this time of, of fun. Now, if you have 12 grandkids and they all come to eat a meal together, you're not going to have the kind of communion they had here because it's a little bit loud. But you get a bunch of adults together, you get a bunch of men together, you know, and the women, I'm sure, were, were there also. And, and these are people that have committed their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been with him for three, three and a half years. They've seen incredible things. They've struggled. They've left everything to be with him. And they're sitting together and they're, they're having this, this fellowship meal with him. And he, he breaks the bread and he passes the cup and they all partake of it, really not understanding what this is all about. And then Jesus says this, I've enjoyed this so much that I, this, this communion with you and this fellowship with you and this oneness with you and this meal with you. That even though you have no clue what I'm saying right now, I will not partake of this again until I partake with you anew in my Father's kingdom. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, yes, it's a time to do a spiritual inventory of your life because you don't want to take it in an unworthy manner. As Paul says in a letter to the Corinthians, you don't want to eat or drink judgment upon yourself. We've talked about that. But when you partake of this Lord's Supper, that's exactly what it is. It's partaking of a meal of fellowship with him. That's why sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper and sometimes it's called communion. But it's not necessarily this communion, but it's a communion with us and him. Does that make sense? So um, you know somebody who's made the biggest impact in your life anybody has ever made before. Maybe it's your father or your mother or a brother or just somebody that you know. And they're getting ready to go somewhere and be gone from you for a long time. Maybe, uh, maybe they have terminal cancer. 
And maybe they're getting ready to go to hospice, and this is the last time that you'll be seeing them. Maybe uh, maybe they're getting ready to go overseas, or, or just something is happening so that your relationship with them is going to be severed. And you don't know when you're ever going to have that relationship with them again. And they mean more to you than anybody, than anything. What do you think that last meal with them would be like? Would it just be, hey, that was good, thanks very much, I'm going to go log on Facebook and see what everybody else is eating? Or do you think you would spend that time saying, listen, I really I really need to share some things with you before you leave. I, I want you to know what you meant to me. I mean, how you changed me. How, I don't know how I'm going to face life without you. And we probably would do everything we could to just let them know the impact that they've made in your life and how much you love them, especially if it's a loved one who's, you know, who's getting ready to pass away. I mean, you're on the deathbed and they're going to, you know, die in a couple of hours. You probably don't ask them about the football scores. True? You hold their hands and you look at them and say, I just, I can't tell you how much you mean to me. I just, I just, I want to, I just, I love you. I've always loved you. And there's this, this communion that takes place, this oneness that takes place. You know, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we have that opportunity to do that too with our Lord, to just thank him for the things that he has done, even the things privately that he has done. When you get older, hopefully, at least this is how it's been in my life, I begin looking back on the people that have made a profound impact in my life, and I have this desire to tell them. And so I have looked up some... Uh, and I've shared some of you with that, the woman, Naomi Hunky, who um, uh, kind of discipled me. I didn't even know what that meant when I first got saved. And she has, of course, since passed away. Her husband's still alive. I just, I just want to let him know, you know the impact that you, you made in my life. And there was a, there was a um, when I first got saved, or before I got saved, um, I was lost as I could be, and I was a youth pastor of a church. And we went to this super wow thing at Jekyll Island with all the Southern Baptist teenagers, and there was this couple up there, Mike and Von Rogers, and I've shared this story with you before, playing some music, and, and so I bought, you know, they had three albums, so I think I bought their albums, took them home, and slid it between stuff I always listened to, and this was like in July. By November of that year, I pulled it out and said, I wonder what this stuff sounds like, and I placed it, that's a turntable for you, I placed it on a turntable uh, and started listening to it for the first time in, in a format that I understood Maybe I was just receptive to it. I heard the gospel. I mean, they didn't lead me to Christ, but they sure opened up my heart in some of the songs they were singing. I even played one for you a couple of years ago about Peter that just overwhelmed me. But, you know, I found him on Facebook and contacted him and just wanted him. He didn't know who I am for anything. We just wanted him to know the impact that he and his wife made in my life. Well, his wife had since passed away, and um, he sent me copies of those albums, and um, you do that in this last supper. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to celebrate Christ's last supper. Now, he is here, and you are here, and the elements are here. And the only thing that's missing is an opportunity to praise him for the things he's done this last year in our life. And so... What we're going to do is I'm going to just take some time for us to just to praise him. The things that he's done in your life that you want to give him glory for. 
as if he was standing here because he is here. And after that, I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to ask you to come up individually and partake of the Lord's Supper yourself. Not going to pass it around and, and, and make it a corporate thing. I'm going to make it an individual thing yourself. And, um, and just recommit your life to him or whatever you need to do to start the new year off better than the old year ended. Amen? So let me pray.